Welcome to the Ordinary Investors Podcast with your hosts, Sean and Leah Baker. All right, welcome to another episode of the Ordinary Investors Podcast. Today we have our special guest, Corey McKinnon, who is an investor since 2005 reaching an eight-figure real estate portfolio comprised of different types of uh, real estate investments. And he's also um, a coach with Infinite Real Estate Results Coaching. Corey, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for joining us, Corey. Thank you so much for having me on here on the podcast today there, gang. Appreciate it. Awesome. Appreciate it. Um, why don't you bring us back to the beginning? What got you into uh, real estate investing in the first place? And uh, uh, bring us through that I don't know that first steps inside the journey. What did it look like? Sure, I'll take I'll take you guys way back to like some of my first memories. Um, we actually grew up in a duplex at the end of a school field, so it was really easy for me to get to school. I walked out the door, and I was in the school field and just could walk to school in Sarnia, Ontario. And um, I guess I kind of took it for granted, but I was getting exposed to real estate even at a young age of like you know three, four, five years old. I never really thought much about it, you know, because once you're exposed to it at an early age, you just think it's normal to have somebody living above you that comes down once a month to pay your dad some rent and stuff like that. Um, and one of my really good friends in grade school, his dad was also a top realtor in town as well. So, um, but probably my breakthrough was when I got one of my first major jobs um, outside of high school. I was in college at the time and I was actually running a student works painting franchise. And my boss at the time, he was house hacking in a duplex in Waterloo, Ontario. So he had four bedrooms up and two or three bedrooms downstairs. And I just saw what he was doing. He was basically living for free. And right around that time, that's when the book Rich Dad Poor Dad came out. And I can literally remember it being sold out at the stores. And you couldn't just go on Amazon and go buy it. Like you literally had to order it at the bookstore and wait for it to come in and then read it. And, um, you know, my friend that I was going to college with at the time, Brad, He's like, Corey, man, you got to get this book. It is like, it's so hard for me to explain. It's about business. It's about investing. It's about real estate. It's about all these different things. I'm like, man, <laughs> we were in a pretty intense reading kind of a program at school. I'm like, I don't need another book to read, but I'm glad he convinced me to buy the book. And that kind of set me on the path to buying my first property, which was a sixplex after missing out on some other offers. And this is before the internet, really, when there wasn't really inf any information on the internet. Internet was only being used for like email back in 2005. So you really had to go figure it out yourself and rely on people that you would meet or like you'd make a phone call and then to get you one step closer. You're really doing detective work with some of the stuff, even like how to finance a sixplex. You know, there was really only one bank that would do it back then. It was uh, Bank of Montreal. So... You know, I had to talk to all the other banks and credit unions and stuff before we finally figured out that Bank of Montreal could actually help out. So it was really kind of fend for yourself back then. There wasn't as many networks. There wasn't nearly as much information out there. So I was armed with maybe Rich Dad, Poor Dad and the Barber and then like a white the white pages and just made it work from there. Awesome. That's uh, quite interesting to hear that your first investment was a sixplex, uh, you know, typically a lot of the people that we've uh, chatted with or we've had uh, on to uh, the podcast so far have been, um, you know, starting out with house hacking, a duplex, something like that. That's a little bit easier to finance that uh, doesn't have those same uh, challenges that a sixplex would have. Um, what were some of the learning that you went through uh, through that first uh, first journey, through that first property? 
Yeah, so that one was in London, Ontario. I guess I moved from Sarnia to all over the province and finally landed in London, Ontario. I rented at, actually at this building for three, four years before I bought it first. So yeah, the, I guess the challenge, the first challenge was the down payment because back then I didn't want to pay extra CMHC fees and avoid the fees back then. You had to have a 25% down payment, not 20. So that was a big down payment of over $100,000. Uh, luckily, I was making good money at the time and i had a pretty good savings rate because i didn't really have very high expenses and i was in a sales position so making good money i had a chance to save up for that so the first one was the down payment the second one was just literally finding you know we talked a little bit about it but like who was actually going to help to finance this deal and ended up going through a mortgage broker who knew that uh, bank of montreal would do five plexes and six plexes and they even had like a one percent cash back program at the time which was which was good, but then I found out it was rolled into the cost of the lending anyways. So you got 1% back, which which helped out with a little bit of things too. And really just trying to navigate the waters of the renovations, right? I came from, you know, I was fairly good with my hands. Like I took all the trades in, in high school, all the shops and that sort of stuff. Um, but when it comes to renovating a house and managing contractors, it's, it's a totally different world. It always has been because these people can be unreliable. They can be very hand in mouth. They can be say one thing and do another thing or, you know, sell the world and only be able to come in at this level. Right. Um, and, but after that, I mean, I, I had a pretty good handle on the property because I lived there for four years. I wanted to be the landlord or the previous owners like boots on the ground. I was running a painting contracting business as well. So I, I wasn't totally unaware of what it was like to be in the trades industry. Um, probably the next biggest challenge was just like how to get the next one, how to get the next one, how to get the next one. So, you know, it's one thing to have one income property, which is great because even if when you get your first one, you're so much further ahead of most Canadians, but then how do you string together, you know, all the rest of the properties that you want to have, like uh, a string of Christmas tree lights, I guess, right? And light it all up. Awesome. Uh, what, what uh, I, well, thanks for sharing some of the uh, challenges that you faced during that time. I know that it's uh it's a huge learning curve to go through that and thankfully you had some experience with uh some of the other experience that you did have um not related to investing in the moment there but um what did uh properties two three and so on look like at that point i guess what were your goals at that uh when you first started out and um i guess what were the next steps in uh getting to that goal Great question. You know, I think if somebody told me like, Corey, you would end up having over a hundred doors in real estate or even over 25 doors in real estate, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have believed them. So I think in the beginning with anybody, it's more of like that proof of concept. Can I get the first one or the second one or the third one? And for me, it was, the, I guess the first landmark I was trying to chase was like getting to 20 doors. And we strung that together by, you know, obviously picking this one up and then getting some triplexes and getting some duplexes after that. Um, the next one, interestingly enough, was a duplex that was like on the market for it was becoming a stale listing because, I mean, being realtors, you you two would know that if someone gives you very limited showing availability, it, it's challenging to get clients through the property. And you might actually end up skipping that one because it's like, hey, this might be and the, the pictures were terrible or non-existent and the outside of the building definitely needed work. But it was a duplex in London, Ontario for I think it was listed at $175,000. We got it down to 165 and it needed a bunch of work. Like we both units needed a full renovation. The exterior needed like brick pointing, a new roof, new aluminum. Like there's literally holes through the soffits. 
um, birds and raccoons and stuff were going right through them. So I definitely picked a heavier burr for the next one. But again, I was just learning and, and none of this stuff was like full gut job renovations. Um, we were doing, you know, fixing the kitchen, fixing, uh, updating bathrooms, bedrooms, paint, flooring, all those different things. So it was, it was still fairly plug and play, which was nice and uh, able to recycle money, right? At that point, I was really going deep on like, you know, I knew that the limiting factor was going to be like, how good is the mortgage brokers and lenders at this point to keep, you know, seeing the values of the properties that you're buying and able to look at your net worth and any down payment availability that you might have to just keep things going and going, right? So um, even on, on the first property, I did use the first time homebuyers plan with my RSPs. So that was a little bit helpful as well. Um, not that I'm a huge fan of RSPs as an investment vehicle. I'd rather put it into real estate because we have more, far more control over what we can actually do with those assets. But at the time, you know, I think for people, if they do have money sitting in their RSPs, you know, using that for your first one can be helpful too. 100%. Yeah, uh, definitely a better in a more controllable asset and uh, being able to use the RSPs to, to you know, as a down payment. Um, you know, I think that a lot of people don't realize that you can utilize them. And uh, I know for us, it's a big, we're big advocates for being able to do that and to be able to recycle the money too. So then you can, you know, get that tax credit, get government uh, contributions towards your down payment as well each year, right? Totally. Awesome. So uh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so what was, um, I guess the, the next steps in the process and, and, uh, so you had gone down burring duplexes and, uh, what did things look like, I guess, uh, now, nowadays, as far as, uh, portfolio growth and, um, kind of what you're, you've been focusing on lately. Yeah. So fast forward a little bit, I was able to retire by just having a portfolio that was, that was performing well enough. And obviously times are different back, you know, even three years ago, things were dramatically different than they were today. So once we got the portfolio up to about 60 doors and I, you know, I had coaches and mentors and things like that along the way, which I, you know, I recommend if people want to move a little bit faster and if you are okay investing in yourself to, you know, work with someone who's been where you are and to get there quicker. Um, not everybody's into that, but uh, for me, I've been very coachable from a young age, being a national level athlete, starting at the age of 15. Um, I just saw the difference between working with a, a high level coach, like someone who'd been to multiple Olympic games, and then somebody who just kind of went and got the weekend certificate and now they're a coach, right? And they can, you technically can coach, but you know, there's, there's skills and levels to everything, right? So um, was able to retire from there. And now what we're working on are bigger deals. Like I'm, I don't really want to be looking at projects or developments unless they're over a million dollars. Um, you know, we bought a storage facility last year, which was fun. Uh, we've got a, a church that we bought four or five years ago that uh, we got to the starting line right before COVID hit to go build 29 apartment buildings in there. And at the time, I I did decide to push the pause button because it didn't make sense to forge forward when you don't have certainty around renovation costs. And, and you know, really, it was also time too. I've got four kids at home under the age of 11. So uh, at that time, it was under the age of eight or nine, right? So my uh, my youngest daughter is going to the school system next year, which will be, um, it'll be great to free up some of our time. You know, I really do feel that uh, the best lessons happen after school when they're hanging out with mom and dad about real life. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I guess long, uh, long story short, um, we're looking at bigger developments. We're looking at, um, we also have a piece of raw land that we're going to be um, getting to the starting line for 
you know, whether it's a subdivision or just selling it off, it's kind of cool that there's multiple jump out points in that uh, project. We can, we can either do the whole thing or we can just get a site plan approved and then sell it from there too. So, but all these things do take time and it's got to be the right timing for the person who's behind the wheel. Right. So um, during COVID, our coaching business really exploded as well. So we really wanted to just give back to the community and make sure that people were getting the right information from, you know, people who have actually been there, done that with real estate. We have uh, 10 coaches that help to pour into our networking group of students here. So it's been fun. It's definitely been a wild ride. So even though the market's calmed down a little bit here in 2023, it's actually been nice to get a breather, take a family vacation, all those different things that we weren't able to do the past couple of years. That's awesome. You talked about um, the type of investments that you're looking at now. Are there specific areas that you're eyeing um, for investments these days? Yeah, I've, I've always been in southwestern Ontario and I've looked into the states. I've looked up north. I've looked more in the GTA. And sometimes it's just good to pull the trigger and, and do business in a city where you have all the power teams already figured out. And as long as to me, it's all about the return, right? So if I'm still finding projects and, and deals that fit my returns or my, my criteria before buying, I'm just going to keep buying out this way. And as you two know, sometimes the best deals don't, don't even hit the market. You know, the storage facility we bought last year didn't hit the market. The church didn't hit the market. The, um, the 10 acre development, one block from the lake here in Southern Ontario, it was actually on the market, but it's priced way too high, turned into a stale listing. So always looking for those opportunities where, you know, it's either too big for someone else, uh, too small for the big REITs and things of that nature, or if it's mislisted or if it's a stale listing, or if it's just too, too much work or someone's not seeing the full potential in the property. One time we bought a, a sixplex in London, Ontario, and people just didn't see how if you just rejig some of the layout, on the inside with the corner store, got rid of the corner store, turned it into a hair salon, um, cut down the square footage because you don't need a 1600 square foot hair salon. <laughs> you need a 600 square foot, 600 square foot hair salon. And then the other bachelor unit got turned into a really big two bedroom. So just being able to play Tetris and Jenga inside of, uh, inside of buildings. And, you know, I like that kind of challenge where there's always a challenge when it comes to real estate investing. I don't think I'll ever retire from it because there's always something to learn, always something to do. There's always a deal out there that needs funding or something of that nature. So, but I think it's important that people stay in their lane and they cut their teeth in, you know, an opportunity that makes sense for them, you know, whether it's a duplex, duplex or a house, you know, for me, it was a sixplex because I knew the property really well. I'd been living there for four years and I knew the owner and he was patient with me throughout the buying process. It probably took us three months just to close on the thing. So, um, you know, I think it's important that people stay in their lane and not try to move too fast based on their current capabilities. Right. Definitely. I think that that's, I wanted to go back to that. Oh, sorry, Sean. I wanted to go back to that six packs while we're on that. Um, did you, um, know, well, you obviously knew the landlord, but did you know it was coming to the market? Was it listed or was that an opportunity that you kind of created for yourself by having a conversation with the owner? Yeah, I think it was a little bit of both, right? Because I mean, as I got to know the owner, and sometimes he would say, "Hey, do you want to paint this unit?" Because he had a bunch of units in London, Ontario, as well. So I was building a relationship up with him just by giving him really good pricing on on the painting contracts because I wanted to learn from him, right? And, and you know, he was my first unofficial mentor, and because it was a free mentor, sometimes he would, he would just give me random assignments, and I'd say, "Okay," like he says, "Jump," I say, "How high?" or "Meet me at this." restaurant on a Saturday morning at 7am. So I'm like, okay, I'm 26 years old, and I got to make sure that I'm 
not staying out late the night before so I can actually make this breakfast meeting and learn from this person and have questions prepared ahead of time because it was very short and straight to the point. So, um, yeah, so that that definitely helped out. And um, I knew I knew the building and because I knew the building, he kept throwing out random things when you'd see me on site like, hey, would you ever want to buy this place? I'm like, yeah, like I, I was preparing for this, right? I was saving up my down payment. I wanted to be getting into something. I was looking at properties all the time. And then the, the numbers you'd throw out would always go up over time. It started at 350, then 365, then 380. And then I get a phone call from one of my employees one day saying, hey, Corey, that sixplex that you're living in right now that sometimes we have, you know, team meetings in is uh, there's a for sale sign on the line. So um, he was he was fishing for a bigger number. He didn't get it. And after two or three months of sitting on the market, he said, hey, do you still want to buy this thing? And I said, yeah. I just didn't want to buy it at whatever he had it listed at for 460 or 480. So we came down to more like the 420 price range and ended up picking this thing up, which even at the time that was, it sounds cheap now, but at the time that was still more on the expensive side, considering the building needed a roof and it needed still high galvanized plumbing and knob and tube wiring and stuff like that. But we worked out a deal where we had some credits on closing a deal with that too. So Learned, definitely learned a lot on that first one. I kind of tell people it was like, okay, so you want to go do a running race and people sign up for like a 5k running race, but I signed up for like a full marathon right at the gates. And you learn a lot more when you do something more challenging at the gates. And then other things didn't seem as intimidating or, or as hard, right? Yeah, it builds that, uh, builds that muscle on uh, being able to take a little bit more risk and, um, you know, knowing that you're going to come up against obstacles, you're going to come up against challenges and uh, just being able to be a little bit more comfortable that way. And uh, that's where I was going to go on the last uh, uh, question there too, is that there, you know, people going uh, when they are starting out to stay within the risk tolerance as well. And maybe the risk tolerance is only a duplex in that moment. Uh, but it's, um, you know, that, that experience over time that allows you to be able to take a, just that little more uh, risk and, um, and uh, get into some different uh, types of properties and, and uh, different strategies as well. Um, what is, uh, I guess, uh, some of the, uh, if you want to share with us, uh, one of the uh, most interesting things that you've come across uh, with um, with real estate investing and through your journey, I'm sure that you've come across a lot of uh, interesting situations or, or um, uh, things that have come up uh, during your time of investing and going through these challenges and obstacles. Totally. I mean, you know, there's so many different stories I could tell or whatever. I mean, when you're doing a renovation and you're pulling apart the walls and things, sometimes you find some interesting things in the walls and it's kind of cool when people used to use newspapers as shims, right? And then you can pull it out. And um, most of my properties that I bought are, you know, century homes are pretty close to it. Um, so we've had to deal with fixing poor workmanship or, but at least the wood was, <laughs> you know, the, the joists and the, and the, uh, the two by fours were true two by fours back then. And even if they notched through some of the, uh, the joists that they, they still had the structural integrity to to withhold what you, you know the the weight of the building and stuff like that but um probably one of the more interesting deals that we we put together were, were just some of the more distressed deals that we did whether it was a flip or um, i bought one property just before covid and um you know so it and this is why it's important to always be don't be afraid to let your friends and family and your network know what you're doing as long as you're doing it in a tasteful way and it's not like your entire feed is all about I buy real estate. Um, I mean, my my life and your life is all encompassed around real estate, but not everybody needs to be like that. Um, so I had a friend of mine, actually, this girlfriend of mine, reach out on Facebook 
and I, I hadn't really talked to her since college and she was like, Hey, are you still buying real estate? And I said, yeah, you know, how can I help out? Or do you know if something coming up for sale? And she said, yeah, my husband's uh, boss is selling their, their uh, property. It's, it's like a duplex, but not really um, more like a rooming house. Right. So because of that connection, we got to talk with the owners and I found out that one of them wasn't doing that well health wise and um, they would actually hold some paper on the property. So we did a vendor take back on it at 85% loan to value and 4% interest, which at the time was a little bit high because everybody could get their uh, their mortgages at two and a half or 3% or three and a half percent. But I just know like my first mortgage ever was like 6%. And even what we're paying right now, it's no, it's not fun. People don't like to pay those rates, but at the end of the day, you should have enough equity in the properties or be prepared for rates to go up. You know, not just a half a percent or a quarter percent, but multiple percentage points, full percentage points when you buy a property. So we put this deal together and um, it was right when I we just had our newborn and I made a promise to my wife whenever we do have a newborn that I won't be taking on heavy, heavier construction type projects. So I said, maybe I'll just throw this out to my network and see if anybody actually wants this property because I got a good deal on it. Um, that's, you know, we got the vendor take back plus we got it well under market value because it needed some work. And um, I found somebody that wanted to do a rent to own for three years. So I let him rent to own it, uh, got got the down payment from him. And I only had to put 15% down on this. I got the 50%, 15% down payment from him to rent to own it with that future purchase option right into the future. Um, so it was a pretty creative deal where I had nothing out of pocket and he did the renovations and the fix up and he ended up renting it to a bunch of students and did really well. So he was cash flowing on it too. And then three years into the future, he bought it out. And because the market went up so much, I mean, he made money on the buy. I made money based on our future strike price. Um, so it's just really cool when you get deals like that where everybody wins, right? The sellers sold um, privately. Um, they also made some money on their private mortgage. The person that was renting to own it got a good deal in the future as well. And he was cash flowing along the way and it helped him figure out his credit until he was able to close because he just went through a separation or divorce. And then I was able to make some money on the close as well. So I think other people won more than I did. And it's all good because when you have more sticks in the fire, then I mean, that's how you put uh, that's how you put your annual income together. Right. So. Uh, but, you know, I've had all kinds of crazy things happen from, you know, midnight moves to we've had someone pass away in a unit before, um, even before we bought the property. So we had a, that delayed the closing. Um, we've had people, you know, smash up units before. I mean, I've had someone where we delivered the N4 to them and on the N4 form, which is, a you know, you're late for rent. It says this could lead to an eviction. And she literally moved out the next day. She sent me a text. She's like, uh, sorry, I'm a little bit late on rent. I, I just moved out yesterday. I was like. You don't have to, um, but because she paid her last month's rent, it kind of took care of the month that she missed anyways. And then we uh, we rented the we rented the unit the next month. So, um, but yeah, we've had thousands of interactions with tenants over the years, and it's 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 interesting. You learn a lot about human nature just by you know interactions in real estate, which I'm sure you you too as well when you're selling properties or listing properties or releasing properties for people. You see it all. Yeah. No, for sure. Awesome. It, no, thanks for sharing that. I love that win-win-win scenario there. Very, very creative to put that deal together and uh, for everybody to be able to, you know, uh, achieve some sort of uh, goal where they get a win out of that. So that's uh, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing.
Um, you mentioned about the rates, uh, you know, being 6% before and where we're at right now and, um, you know, that we've been constantly moving up. Um, where do you see things uh, going in the next little while from an investing uh, standpoint where some opportunities might present themselves? You know, I wish I had a crystal ball there, gang. Um, I always tell people I got a bookshelf right here behind me and I got a $13 kind of like crystal ball thing from uh, from Walmart, but it doesn't seem to work that well. Um, I, I don't think rates can go much higher. I frankly didn't think they would get this high. But again, the government was late to the party when it came to trying to balance everything out when it came to inflation, right? So we're playing catch up right now and we're pretty much always using old data. So um, I'm always an optimist as well. And the properties that I have cash flow really well, like we're, we've got a lot of medium term rentals. And I always recommend to people don't wait until the market gets more expensive before you start putting in higher yielding cash flowing opportunities in your portfolio. Why not do it right out of the gates? So then you're getting that premium right out of the gates and you've learned the new strategy. Yes, you've had to stretch and grow. And I, I totally resonate with what you two were saying earlier that everybody's got their own risk tolerance and it's about stretching, right? And getting a little bit out of your comfort zone till the point where that becomes your new normal. And then what got you here won't get you to the next step. So then you become uncomfortable again and, you know, just new normal, new normal, uncomfortable, uncomfortable. And it's, it's always these steps that you're going through if you're somebody that always wants to be growth oriented versus uh, fixed. Um, so, you know, I see that there is going to be opportunities in the market for sure. Like there's going to be people that just need to sell or um, even when it comes to bigger properties, I'm hearing stories about, you know, different funds or REITs that didn't get their loans from CMHC. So now they got to sell off some of their smaller stuff. And I look at what some of the bigger players are buying in real estate. They're looking for more turnkey because they don't want to go through the uncertainty of burring and what are renovation costs and how long am I going to have to wait for the contractor to get there? And, you know, can we actually, you know, have the tenant exit stage left if we're wanting to renovate all the units in the building? And so they're looking for more turnkey and they're, they're playing the long game. And I, I think, you know, over the past three to five years with the appreciation we were having, a lot of people were looking at real estate like Bitcoin. And as long as you got in, you got a piece of it, it was guaranteed to go up. And that's not always the case. Like you have to be prepared for this to be volatile, like a very volatile stock for a while. It's going to be up and down. But as long as you bought with really strong fundamentals, you're going to be OK. And, you know, don't quit your day job before you actually can afford to. You know, I quit my day job, but then I started other income streams, right? I started a property management business. I started a consulting business, helping other people do what I did. Because I had so many reach outs once I did retire. Like, how did you do it? Can you teach me how to do this, right? Um, so just make sure that uh, you have an escape plan. And you're looking at your real estate as more of like your retirement plan. Unless you're willing to go like all in and just like make this your life's focus. Yes, you can get enough doors and you can get enough cash flow. And you can have an active stream of real estate like wholesaling and flipping and referrals and stuff like that. And then you can also have your buy and hold stuff too. But most people aren't willing to be a freak of nature and just put in so much time and hustle and grind and make all those sacrifices, right? They just might want to add some of this to their portfolio to make sure that they're set up during retirement or they can retire a little bit early or they don't have to be stressed about staying at a job that they don't want to. And they can have a little bit more flexibility and freedom with what they do in the last 10, 15 years of their career, right? So um, so long story short, I, I see that um, there will be opportunities to buy in the market. I think that um, for any stale listings out there right now, people, if they do need to sell, they're going to be open to offers um, well under listing price. And as long as you're buying quality assets and you can even break even right now, 
Um, rents are continuing to go up. They're not going up as much as you know the cost of your holding your mortgages and things of that nature. But I do believe that rents are going to continue to go up over time. It's kind of neat when you see these properties and you go in the attic and you get copies of old leases or you just talk to old people that used to rent there. I remember the lady that lived upstairs from us when I was growing up, you know, 40 some odd years ago, she was paying $75 a month, like <laughs> such a low rent. But I mean, it was under market value at the time. But even what when I was at a school and I was looking to rent a room, it was like $350, $400. And now room rentals are like seven, eight hundred, nine hundred, sometimes a thousand dollars in certain cities. So it's uh, yeah. So I think people just need to be smart and they can't use the old playbook. They got to kind of come up with a better, newer playbook and buy in, buy in cities where there's a upside down kind of like unfair advantage in your favor when it comes to supply and demand for rental units and those kinds of things. So then you're not going to be, you know, fighting over price when it comes to your rentals. Like if you have a great rental, go list it at full market value. I mean, you deserve to if there's not enough housing in that city. Awesome. That's fantastic advice. Um, so you had mentioned that uh, going down the coaching and mentoring route as well. Um, what did that look like? Uh, so uh, people were reaching out to you on Facebook, kind of seeing where you, uh, you've you retired now and uh, reaching out to find out that path. What did it look like getting into the coaching and consulting uh, side of things? And um, I guess what was the the why behind that and the driving factor for you to uh, take those, uh, men mentees on. Definitely. You know, and I get this question quite often because I, I think people have a misunderstanding that, you know, maybe some coaches or some people in the space, they do it because they need to make the money. Um, whereas I've always been a coach and a mentor since a very young age. And I tell this story on other podcasts too, but I mean, I was literally a peer tutor in grade school. And then I continued that in high school I continued that in college and then it was my job for 17 years and then I retired from there and I still continue to do it. So people get called to be a leader at a young age. I can still remember, um, you know, some of my earliest childhood memories of like, you know, I just felt like I was a little bit different than some of the other kids, right? I took, I took uh, school like a sport, you know, I was always trying to do the best I could in school and just try to figure out how other people learn things because you, you get exposed in a classroom. You're like, oh, so so-and-so doesn't learn this way, but they learn this way. And so it was really, I was trying to take schools like a masterclass to how can I help people in the future? And it really is my life's mission to help other people struggle less and to make sure that they, they learn the things that we're not learning in the school system. And it's, it's so unfortunate. I mean, they barely taught, us anything when we were in school because it's just an old school system but at least they taught us how to fill out a check and how to put a stamp on an envelope and how to address letters and you know whereas uh, you know i've had tenants of mine who worked for the bank and they didn't know how to send an e-transfer or how to write out a check right and you know i remember back when you used to actually make interest by keeping your money in the bank and that's coming back a little bit now but i can remember when you used to make eight ten twelve percent interest right so it was like legitimate numbers dropping into your bank account every single month. So it really is, it's my mission in life. It's, um, I get just as much satisfaction helping someone else. It really fills me up. It makes my day, it makes my week, makes my month. And um, I always find time to build my portfolio as well too. And I've got staff who are either helping to run it or helping to grow it. So we really do like to teach people to set up their real estate portfolio like a business, because whether you like it or not, if you wanna buy more than one property, you gotta treat it like a business and um, you gotta do everything 
as professionally as possible so you can actually really scale right and that's where a lot of people get tripped up is they they don't run it like a business they're just guns a blazing um, typically real estate investors are action takers so because they take a lot of action they kind of miss out on that second half which is all the systems in the back end and how do i do this to the point where i can scale infinitely which is sort of where we came up with the name infinite real estate results um, also being able to recycle your money over and over again um, it's getting more difficult to do that with the burr strategy these days but you know it might just take you a little bit of time but after three years maybe on a refinance then you can go do the perfect burr and just go buy the next one go buy the next one or learn how to raise money so that you can actually just keep buying the properties you want That's awesome. Speaking of um, helping people, that's exactly what we're trying to do is help those people who, you know, are trying to get started in investing and give them those pieces of advice that we wish we had back in the day. Right. So when you first started, um, was it just by yourself? And I guess a two part question, was it by yourself? Did you eventually morph into um, any sort of partnerships or joint ventures with other people? And also, did you incorporate when you first started or at some point along your journey? <laughs> I think that might almost be a three-part question. No, it's it's all good. Uh, I love talking about this stuff. So in the beginning, yes, it was just me. Um, I guess I did have a, a right-hand person who did my renos, and that was actually my brother. So he was just getting started. He was actually working for that previous landlord of mine. Uh, he'd been working with uh, Mark for a year or two at that time. And he was a hard guy to work for just because he was so blunt and so A-type and so straight to the point. Um, but he's like, hey, I, I know enough that I can do cosmetic renovations for you. And I'm like, hey, I'm happy to feed you work and um, you know pay you to learn on, on the job sites. And I'll try to bring in other people that we can learn from as well, too. And now that's all he does. He does renovations. He does very well. He's more of a, a master carpenter now. But um, so I just kept doing things on my own. And, you know. I know we could all look back in the rearview mirror and say, well, what would I have changed? And part of me says I wouldn't change anything because that's what got me, got us all to where we are today. But if I were to give some advice to my younger self, it would be don't be afraid to maybe partner up a little bit earlier or just like raise money and use OPM a little bit more. Um, I was very kind of hesitant to do that. I guess I, you know, being brought up in a household where money was very scarce and man, you couldn't ask parents for a loan. My dad couldn't ask his dad for a loan for anything. Um, so I guess that kind of got echoed down through the generations. But now that I know now that there's so much money in the world, and there's, there's definitely people that want to put their money to work. You just have to go about, you know, attracting that in a proper manner. Um, so, and I have leveled up to doing some partnerships and some joint ventures. Um, for the most part, they've worked out and uh, some of them haven't. And we've had to buy each other or I've bought them out. Right. So I think a lot of people have to really understand their partner. And when you find the right partner, it's amazing. When you don't have the right partner, it can be challenging. Um, fortunately, my joint ventures and partnerships have been um, at least like a seven or eight out of 10. So they weren't terrible. It just wasn't meant for a lifetime. And um, too often, I think you get action takers here that are just like they meet each other. Oh, you want to partner? You want to partner? Great. Let's partner up. And they don't really realize that you have to be strategic around, you know, one plus one has to equal more than two. You know, is there like a yin and a yang to you both coming together and someone's got to be the, the details and the management and the other person has to be finding the deals and shaking hands and being more of that visionary. Right. So they recommend reading books like The E-Myth um, Revisited or um, Who Not How 
or traction or rocket fuel so that people just understand the importance of having the right people on your team and trying to do it all yourself can be extremely challenging. Uh, fortunately, with my business background, I understood that I needed extra help. I needed admin help. I needed um, to rely on contractors and not try to do it myself. So just because you can do something doesn't mean you should try to do it all because it just isn't your unique talent, right? So many people need to spend more time in their unique talent and their, and their geniuses, right? And that's why we also do, you know, um, whether it's free webinars or uh, weekly newsletters or YouTube channel or group coaching programs or one-on-one -on -one coaching programs, just to try to point people in the right direction with like, this is how you can build up over time. Awesome. That's fantastic advice. And uh, if you were to strip it all back today with all of the knowledge that you have uh, gained over the years, where would you start uh, if you were beginning your investing journey today? Wow. Uh, one golden nugget. I guess it would be to do your best to take the emotionality out of real estate investing. And um, I picked this up through reading Donald Trump's book way back in the day, Art of the Deal. And he talks about you got to love the numbers about the deal. Don't fall too in love with everything else about the deal. And when you have like checklists and formulas that you run or like a certain return that you like, I've almost talked myself out of good deals because I'm like, oh man, I don't know. It's it's too much of a stretch right now, or that's going to max me out too much. Or, um, but then when the, when the realtor says, look, if you don't buy this, I'm going to buy it. <laughs> um, you know, I think we just all, we all question ourselves and we all like try to think of case scenarios. And, you know, that's just like our, our crock brain trying to protect us, you know? So when you can take the emotion out of it and just go, okay, well, it checks all these boxes. And we literally have a form that, uh, I mean, if people want to DM me on Instagram or whatever, stay in touch, I'll send this to you. But it's like 150 steps of what every single scenario or thing you might want to check off from your home inspection to your due diligence to your financing to highest and best use and all the admin steps that you need to take care of before you close on the property. Um, it really it's good because it pulls everything out of your brain and just puts it onto a file so you don't have to like use up your extra mental uh, calories or energy to figure that all out. It's just there. It's in front of you. If it checks enough boxes, then it's the universe probably telling you like, hey, this is one that you could go firm on or you should at least put an offer in on or see where it goes. Right. Um, don't overpay for things. I guess that'd be one more like don't pay for potential, um, because if you're always paying for potential, then you're not going to get one of the biggest advantages of being a real estate investor, which I think is making money on the buy. And, you know, sure, location is important, but if you you could buy in a great location, but if you don't make money on the buy, um, it's it can be or at least not pay for that potential which is also making money on the buy um it's it's hard to get ahead in real estate investing so sure that's fantastic advice thank you um corey if anybody wanted to get a hold of you what would be the best way to to reach out yeah i'm um i'm pretty much everywhere by corey mckinnon or corey mckinnon.com so um i'm probably the most active on instagram even though i didn't know what instagram was five years ago but um, i've gotten used to that language and watching that uh, that inbox there on an hourly basis so you can stay in touch with me on instagram um, they can also go to my website CoreyMcKinnon.com. um they can also go subscribe on youtube it's just look me up on youtube it's uh, it's it's under my name Corey mckinnon too so and uh, sign up for our newsletter as well. So when people go to my link tree and my bio, they can be getting some uh, golden nuggets dropped in their inbox every single week. And my goal is not to spam people. Uh, my goal is just to give you value and resources and tools and links and things that can help you get ahead. And, um, you know, 
fortunately, I've helped, hopefully we'll actually get to meet up somewhere, right? Like it's funny, in my last two trips in airports, I've seen people in the lounge and they're like, are you a real estate guy? <laughs> and then we end up talking, right? Cause they saw me on a video or a, a reel or something like that. So, um, and that's the goal is just to reach more people all over Canada about how they can actually use and buy real estate properly, which I think it's great that you guys have this platform here too. Um, you know, listening to podcasts like this is, is so beneficial to people. They can watch it faster. They can watch it when they have no, no, doesn't take them any extra time. Like when they're driving, commuting, walking. So, uh, I appreciate you guys letting me be able to pour into your audience today. It's been awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today, Corey. Awesome. Thank you so much, Corey. We appreciate it. No problem, everybody. My pleasure. Everybody. Yeah. Awesome. We hope that you enjoyed the show today and that we brought you some value. We'd love it if you give some feedback, let us know what you think about the show and what you'd like to hear. And while you're at it, give us a follow so you don't miss out on any further episodes.